All right, I want to welcome on my next guest. We've got Noel Lambert, para-athlete for the U.S. Paralympic Track and Field Team and the founder of the Born to Run Foundation. Noel, how's everything going for you? Great. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Um, just, yeah, living my life, even with COVID, living the best I can. <laughs> how's your pandemic going? Have, have, they, have you kind of figured out when you'll be able to get the vaccine? I know everybody's trying to pounce on it. Yeah, you know what? I haven't even looked. I'm kind of just waiting for the email and like waiting for them to call my name. Um, I'm honestly like, I'll get it when I need to. I don't even know if that's going to be a requirement or not to go to the Paralympics. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, last I heard they were trying to get it. Uh, so all athletes have it. Um, but the US is kind of having a difficult time with it. But I'm sure like eventually we'll get our vaccines and we'll be safe to go and everything. So I'm excited about that. <laughs> what was the, when did you find out last year that they were pushing it back a year? I think I found out in, I want to say April, April or uh, April or May. Um, the biggest thing that happened was when I found out that Canada wasn't allowing any other athletes to go. So then I was like, okay, yeah. this is very serious and it's probably going to yeah. be pushed. But listen, I mean, I was only doing track for about a year and a half. So Having this whole extra year to train, it's kind of been a blessing in disguise for me. So I'm obviously going to take the time. I took the time to get a lot better at different things. And I feel a lot more comfortable. Obviously, having competed in over a year, that's going to be very weird. Um, but getting to work on the little things, I think that definitely helped. <laughs> so what, what's the next steps? Are there like um, qualifiers or is there just kind of just get ready to just to, to fly out there? Yeah, so I mean, the U.S. has been doing an amazing job, the U.S. para team, and trying to organize everything for us to actually get some competitions cool. under our belt. I was actually just in California just for training camp and warm weather camp uh, in California a couple weeks ago, and I was there for a couple weeks just getting training and getting the warm weather, and they're actually doing the same thing in April, at the end of April, and they're going to actually have some sanctioned events for us to compete in. And then, um, so I'll have like maybe two or three before trials at the end of June, and then that's when they officially select the Tokyo team, and then uh, Tokyo is August twenty fourth to September fifth. What's the what's the weather like in Tokyo in August? Is it hot or is it normal? Yeah, I've heard, I've heard it's pretty humid and pretty hot. Really? Uh, but I, listen, I went to Dubai and I competed in Dubai, so I, I'm not even going to worry about the heat. <laughs> is is Dubai is built up as it looks like in every picture? Yeah, I mean, it's literally beautiful in any sense that you can think of. I mean, everything just looks like a million bucks. All the cars, the police cars alone are just like insane. I mean, really? uh, yeah, I was very fortunate and lucky to get to go have the opportunity to go there because I don't think I would ever have gone there uh, by myself just because it's like so extravagant. But yeah, it was definitely a life-changing experience and I mean getting to like live getting to live there for a few like a few weeks and getting to experience that culture I mean it was definitely very different but very cool in the same way that's awesome can you talk about your story a little bit a little bit about what would happen and kind of how you got to where you are now yeah so in 2016 uh the summer following my freshman year I was involved in a moped accident uh the dump truck that was driving towards me I actually sideswiped it it was my first time ever driving a moped and my leg was actually severed on the scene. It was completely gone. And I just remember looking down, seeing that my leg was gone and thinking of sports immediately because growing up, I had three older brothers. I was always active, doing different things, trying to compete with them. In high school, I was a three-sport varsity athlete and I earned myself a division one scholarship to play lacrosse at UMass Lowell. And so at the time I was a division one athlete. And I mean, my freshman year, I had a really, I had a standout season. I started every game. I was a leading point scorer. So laying there kind of having all of this 
like all this jump at me. I really thought that my life was over and I was never going to be able to walk again, let alone run. And I mean, quickly after I had a lot of the Boston Marathon survivors come and visit me, tell me their stories, my friends and family and complete strangers all reaching out to help. I mean, that really put my spirits up and I really just thought to myself that if the people, the Boston Marathon survivors, when they were telling me their stories, I was like, if they're telling me that my life is not going to be any different, I'm going to still going to be able to do all the things I want to be able to do with my life, then I need to listen to them. And I can't feel sorry for myself because they're sitting here like telling me they're, they're like awful stories and they overcame it. So that was what the turning point for me was. And I, I mean, a I, question. Really, I have a question. Yeah. You, you, you didn't, you didn't pass out. No, I did not pass out. I was completely Were they like surprised at that? Because I feel like that's wild. I was surprised at it. I was asking people to punch me in the face to knock me out because I was like, I don't want to be awake for this right now. And like, I was kind of being a pain in the ass. Like I was just asking questions. I was in shock. Like I didn't feel anything. And I just kept asking questions. I mean, the EMT, like, I mean, I was in the ambulance and they cut off all your clothes and everything because they're trying to like save your life. And I was more upset at the fact that they cut my, off my favorite bathing suit than my leg actually being gone. Um, I just remember them say, like, I remember them like me bawling my eyes out saying, I can't believe you just cut that. Like, I didn't even care about the leg at that point. I was so pissed. But yeah, I mean, I mean, I look, I can look back at it now and like, I like, I have a really good sense of humor about it. I mean, I got med flighted. I, it was my first time ever riding a helicopter. So, I mean, it was a very uh, awful day, but at the same time, it was just, I mean, it, it changed my life. So I, 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 I'm never shy telling the story just because I'm always, always been so open with it. And I've always made like kind of that's a sick sense of humor. So that's kind of helped me. And that's what helped me in the beginning, uh, get past it. I mean, having, having a sense of humor is really what, how I coped with it. <laughs> what, what was it like when you woke up in the hospital? Uh, yeah, it was, it, I was definitely very emotional. I mean, I always say this, I was very grateful to have already known that my leg was gone, uh, waking up rather than having someone have to tell me, I think I would have taken it um, a lot different because just because like getting that information, but yeah, I woke up and the first people I saw were my parents. Um, and then they were, I mean, the first thing my mom said to me was, everybody's posting about you on Facebook. Don't worry. I'm like, how did they even know about it? And she's like, I posted, don't worry. I, I wanted to kill her. Like people I worked with thought I was dead because she literally posted something saying, please pray for my daughter. Like literally so broad and didn't explain anything. Um, but then uh, one of the first people other than my parents to come and visit me was my head coach. And I remember asking her, am I still in the team? Like, how's this going to work? I thought like, I thought she was going to take away my scholarship and she just quickly like shut me down. She's like, no, well, like you are still going to be a part of this team. Your position on the team is going nowhere and your scholarship's going nowhere and the university is behind you hundred percent. So hearing that, that kind of made me get a breath of fresh air. So I was thinking, okay, well, I have a family, I have a team to lean back on. I mean, that was one of the biggest things there. I have, I had like 30, 31 teammates at the time and all of them were coming to visit me in the hospital. Like, and it, it was just such an amazing community and the university, I mean, um the athletic director came to visit me it was just it was amazing uh to see the community come together for me and every, for me and everything so that really helped me in the beginning and i saw you went back and played and not many people have done that yeah i was the first above knee amputee to ever play uh division one lacrosse um it took me about it i it took me about um six months to get That's my it? running 
No, 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 to get my running blade. Oh. Uh, because prosthetics are very expensive. Um, yeah. And insurance companies don't pay for them. And a specialized prosthetic can range anywhere from ten dollars to $50,000. And so you're expected to pay all that on your own. So that's when I started learning about all these amazing foundations out there that help amputees like myself. And so I started applying. And then when I did receive it, it was exactly a year later, like the same day and everything when I returned to the field. So I spent that entire year getting my butt kicked by my teammates and especially my assistant coach. I mean, she took the time to literally, she was the one that like pushed me every single day, was so, so hard on me, was never, always gave me that tough love, like was never satisfied. And that's honestly what I needed. I needed to be pushed. I needed to be yelled at. Cause if someone wasn't telling me to do something, I was a hundred percent not going to do it. So yeah, I got to play uh, in my first game back. I ended up scoring a goal. And so that was amazing. Um, and then, I mean, returning, uh, returning to the field or returning my senior year, it was like my accident never even happened. I mean, I was doing every single drill at every single practice. I created a different role for myself. Um, I knew that I was never going to be the player I was before my accident. Um, I just wanted to find myself a different role and be a part of the team as much as I could. And that's honestly what I'm just so grateful for. I mean, if I wasn't a part of a lacrosse team or a community like that, I would have never got back into athletics and I would have never gotten a running blade. So that was definitely what changed my whole life. <laughs> I have a question. You said ten to $50,000. Why is it so expensive? Listen, I have no idea. That's actually, good. I mean, it's because it's like very high tech, like high technology. I mean, Still, my $50,000. It's, it's crazy. It is crazy. And it's crazy how um, insurance doesn't pay for it. And it's also crazy how Obama uh, needs to get on that soon. Exactly. Something needs to listen. Something needs to get on it because it's just, it's just to the point. I mean, like when you become an amputee, like you, you still want to do all these different things. And I mean, my everyday walking leg isn't waterproof. So if I wanted to go to the beach, I would need a waterproof prosthetic, which costs $20,000. Miles, they're, they're yeah. cleaning up. This, this the insurance company. Oh, getting... Yeah, listen, I have, I have my everyday leg, my water leg, my running blade, and now I'm in the works of getting a snowboarding leg. They have legs for everything. It's crazy. What? It's, I mean, the technology nowadays is amazing. Um, the only thing that sucks about it is not having insurance pay for any of it um, because in their eyes, they feel like you don't need that to live. But that's the same thing as asking someone with two legs. Okay. Well, do you like to work out? Do you like to exercise? Yeah. Okay. Well, we will, we like to do the same thing. So we would like to be able to have those accommodations. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a messed up system, but I mean, all these different foundations out there in the world, I mean, that are willing to help you. There are so many, and I'm just so grateful that I had two different ones donate to me. And I mean, that kind of inspired me. That, that's what wanted, made me want to give back. And that really spoke to me because I saw all the work that these amazing foundations do for other people and did for myself. I mean, that really changed my life. And so I really thought that that was like, my duty that I needed to give back all the help that I received. And, and that is why when I was in college in my junior year, I decided I wanted to start my own nonprofit organization called the Born to Run Foundation. That's awesome. And I saw that speaking of some donations that donated, um, I saw um, L'Oreal contributed and you were a nominee. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, every year L'Oreal chooses 10 different women in their organizations and they donate $10,000 and then the national honoree gets an additional 25,000. So when I found out we were nominated, I mean, that was just, 
a really cool experience. And then when I found out we were one of the 10, I was just so grateful. And I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing that L'Oreal does because they bring together a great community. And I mean, I was so honored to be recognized alongside the other nine amazing women, just to see the work that they do in their communities and for other people. I mean, it's inspiring and it just makes you think, okay, I'm so happy to be a part of this group and I'm, I'm actually helping change lives and L'Oreal Paris it's crazy how much recognition recognition they got for us. Um, and then I was I was grateful enough to be the national honoree. So, I mean, receiving that $35,000 during this pandemic, I mean, it was really a must because we weren't able to have any fundraising events and that's kind of how we get all of our money. So that was able, we were actually able to donate um, three different specialized prosthetics because of that 35,000. So that was just an amazing experience i would say the recognition alone and the i mean the donation was amazing but the recognition alone i mean it got us on a national platform it got us to get so many other donations so many other people following us so now we have so many people on social media asking reaching out what they can do to help so it's it was awesome and i saw you got to talk to kelly clarkson and helen mirren which is not just like an average day what was that like Oh my God. So funny story. When I was younger, I was obsessed with Kelly Clarkson. Like I, like my biggest girl crush, I kid you not. I used to be jealous of this one girl I went to uh, elementary school with because she looked like Kelly Clarkson. And I used to go to her concerts with my mom. And so when I got the email asking to go on the Kelly Clarkson show, I almost started crying. Um, I mean, Helen Mirren and getting, having Viola Davis, like announcing, saying my name. These are like, people who I look up to and I love. I mean, they are just such amazing women. And just to have my name come out of their mouths, I mean, it's, it's such a surreal moment. But I mean, Kelly Clarkson said I looked like a mermaid. She told me she loved me. So like, we're basically like best friends. I literally like attacked the producers after. I was like, so when COVID's over, I can come to a show. That was right? my first question. I want to yeah. be there in person. Yeah, I was like, I need to happen. come meet her and hug her. I don't care. I don't want to be on camera. I just want to go to a show, <laughs> sit front row, and then, because she's awesome. Oh my God, like the nicest, nicest person ever. And it's just, it's amazing to see that. And it's just L'Oreal Paris, I'm so grateful for because all these different, like amazing celebrities, like are, they know my name and they know my story. So that's, that's really cool to think. Did they give you like a lifetime supply of like hair product? Listen, they gave me a huge care package of right, uh, hair product, makeup. My mom was like trying to like weasel her way in, trying to steal some of the stuff. I was like slapping her hand away. But I mean, it was it was awesome. And they usually every single year they do a huge gala like honoring. And I mean, unfortunately, because of COVID, they weren't able to have it. But everyone gets invited every single year, whoever uh, one of the 10. So that's what I'm looking to the, forward to the most because all of their like people who they sponsor and all the like celebrity they go so i'm literally just going to be like attacking everybody <laughs> no because when you bring up kelly clarkson like, i remember like i had a fifth my fifth grade teacher's name is miss since i don't know why i remember this but since you've been gone was the Got biggest you. song in the country and we used to hear yep. it every on the bus and i go miss since you've been gone and she'd be like stop it stop, stop it, right it. <laughs> that was a while you would feel want to feel old look up when since you've been gone came out oh um, no I, I i remember when that song came out i love that song i still do yeah, it's it's wild. It's unbelievable. And so it's so funny you... because oh sorry, because I still oh. go back to all of her throwbacks. Like I kid oh, yeah. you not. A week before I got like invited to go on her show, sometimes when I'm bored, I'll just go to her like breakaway album. I'm just listen to all those songs. Wow, I forgot. <laughs> Do you listen to her music more before you went on the show or after? 
I would say before. I mean, I still listen to it now. Um, but yeah, I would I would always just like if I got sick of the music I was listening to, I'd just go go back. You can never go wrong with some oldie Kelly Clarkson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like yeah, every mix station in the country's got it on at 4 30 every day. Put yeah, right. <laughs> since you've been gone. That's um, so how did you get involved in track and field? So they actually reached out to me, someone in the paratrack and field world after I played and they have, they asked if I've ever thought about competing in the Paralympics or competing in track and field. And fun fact, I hated running before my accident, after my accident, I hated everything to do with running, but I really thought that this would be a really cool opportunity. So, I mean, I didn't, uh, I didn't start focusing on track until after I graduated and I was done with lacrosse. And I just kind of signed myself up for the first track meet and I had one month to train for it. I bought my pair of starting blocks and I would just go to the track every day and kind of figure out how to use them. Had no idea how to use them. I show up at the event, find out that the entire US Paralympic national team was gonna be there and that I was competing against the national champion. And I just kind of wanted to quit and I didn't even wanna do it because um, I honestly showed up to that event and like for practice the day before asking where the 100 meter mark was. Like that's how new I was, I had no idea. And I was just, I've, I've never competed in an individual sport before. I'd always done team sports. So that was just a huge mental thing to me. But I just kept, uh, I just woke up the next day, just warmed up. Um, she could literally tell how nervous I was. And she was like, she was like, don't worry, girl, you're going to do great. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like, you'll be in front of me. You'll be motivating me to go faster. Then the gun went off. And I mean, something weird happened. I ended up, I ended up beating her. And I think it's honestly because the two years prior, I was competing alongside people with two legs in run tests. And if I was ever last, I would be getting, I would get screamed at and have to do 10 burpees. And then if I was ever beating anybody, they would have to do 10 burpees because someone with one leg was beating them. So it was always that tough love. Um, but yeah, I, I, in my first ever track meet, not only did I beat the national champion, but I also had hit the qualifying times for the national team. And so that was a really cool experience. Um, I still needed to compete out of the country to officially be on the team. So I did that uh, a month later in Paris and then I was officially nominated to be on the team, the national team, and I could start getting paid. And then that was when I was selected to compete at the world championships in Dubai. That's awesome. What, what, what's like an average day for you like just training? Yeah. So usually, um, I mean, I usually practice in Boston, so it's about an hour away. So I usually lift, I, I lift here in New Hampshire. So I'll lift before practice, drive an hour, and then usually practice for an hour, hour and a half, just depending on the day. And I'm usually done with my day with athletics by 12, 1230, just depending on what we're doing at practice that day. And then I usually just come home and work on anything I need to with the foundation. But I mean, it's a really good life. I can't complain. Um, I get paid to work out. So, and that's the only motivating factor I have when people ask me what motivates me. I'm kidding, no. I mean, it's it's a re it's really cool. And I don't take it for granted. Um, but yeah, I mean, people always say think that I have like the busiest like workout schedule and everything. And it's, track and field is not like that. Track and field is, I mean, you know, with like all these other team sports and like, like lacrosse, lacrosse was all about endurance. So like every run test you did, you did it for as long as possible. With track and field, like you do one sprint and then you walk back, you get your breath and then you do it again. So it takes longer, but it's just, it's focusing on it differently. So, I mean, that's why I really like the sport because it's all on my terms and I actually know what we're doing for practice rather than going to lacrosse practice and thinking, 
or asking everyone, did anybody do anything where we have, we're going to have to run sprints because we're in trouble. Like that was like kind of the PTSD that I had from college. So transitioning over, that's definitely a good feeling. <laughs> but since you're sort of just getting into it, was this past year just kind of weird that you can't really train with anybody? Yeah. So I yeah. So uh, when I started working out with my coach in Boston, um, my teammate from me to Beck, who's also a baloney amputee, she was a 2016 Paralympian. She kind of took me under her wing, introduced cool. me to her coach, and like kind of showed me the ropes, which I'm so grateful for. I mean, it's 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 amazing to get my ass kicked by her every day. I mean, she's literally the fastest human on this earth. It's insane. She could literally like beat me with two Does legs. She play wide receiver the Washington football team. She me. honestly should. Uh, honestly, she I'm should. I'm gonna call Ron Rivera tomorrow. All right, sounds <laughs> good. <laughs> um, but so when COVID first hit. It was really, I mean, I was still fortunate enough to still, cause the track near my house never closed. So I was still able to go. So my coach was giving us workouts to do. So, I mean, I was doing it by myself, but I was lucky enough to have like my mom come uh, with my dog. So I wasn't alone, but then um, in June and July of 2020, that's when we started going back outside um, and just like taking safe precautions, but we were still practicing together. So that was still good. I mean, we were really lucky uh, because there were a lot of athletes around the country that had no access to tracks yeah. and they were getting super creative. So having all the um, the resources that I did, I was very grateful for. I mean, my uh, training facility, which I lift at, they let me bring home equipment. Okay. So I was able to do at-home workouts. Yeah, so I mean, I was very fortunate and lucky I would say, uh, and my coach was uh, a godsend, just giving us workouts every day and having to deal with us because blowing up his phone. But yeah, so it was great. I it's I didn't really miss a beat. He kept telling me to like take a week off. I was like, I I'm to the point now where I have to do something every day. If I don't do something, like I feel like my I, like the only reason I wouldn't do something is like maybe on a Sunday. On a Sunday, I'm like, all right, I'm not doing anything. This is my for football. You get football on Sundays. Yeah. Football, exactly. So that was like the biggest thing. But I and like that's that was honestly like the mental part that I need to push through. I needed to get the I needed to get to the point where I was doing stuff on my own for myself, not being told to do something. And I think the pandemic actually helped with that. Yeah, that's unbelievable. And so when are they? When are the Paralympics and the Olympics scheduled for? I know it's later in the summer. Yeah, so the Able Body Olympics is, I think, July, like end of July into early August. And then the Paralympics are uh, August 24th to September 5th. Oh, cool. What's so, the yeah. time zone difference on that? Because I forget, I'm always curious if they air at the same time, if they air it when it's like prime time. 12 hours. It's 12 hours. Wow. So actually, for the first time ever, the Paralympics are going to be um, on national television on NBC. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. So they'll do it. Um, so I think like I, when I compete in the morning, like, I mean, I know for when I'm competing, like we have trials or we have like, um, not tri yeah, trials in the morning, like heats or whatever. And then finals are at night. So I think like in the morning is, will be night your uh, like this time. And then when I compete at night, it'll be like in the morning. It's very weird. I mean, when I was in Dubai, it was very weird. I competed at like eight o'clock at night and it was like aired at like 11 o'clock. So it was weird. <laughs> What does that do to your sleep schedule? Like people are like, oh, I'm going to the West Coast two hours, kind of a couple days later, you get rid of 12 hours. How do you, how do you go back from that? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, in, in Dubai was, I think a 10 hour time difference. So they make you go like a couple of weeks before you compete to get acclimated with the time zone and like the, uh, the weather and everything. 
And I mean, the biggest thing, I, I honestly don't know what to do because even when I go on the West coast, I stay on East coast time. Cause I love it. I love going to bed early and I love waking up early. Like I that like, every time I have to go to the West coast, I'm like, yes, I love it. I'm going to get so much sleep because of this. Um, so when we first got to Dubai, I mean, the, I mean, traveling there was ridiculous. And I mean, it was like a 24 hour travel period that it took that long. So we had to take like two different planes because we fly through United and United didn't have any direct flights. And so I think there's the say, biggest thing. You're going to say you flew spirit and one of the wings came off and they had to bring, they had to bring a new plane out for you. Oh my God. I had, I flew spirit once because it was like the cheapest flight and it was no, just never so flies, never fly spirit. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, but I think just the biggest thing is like you get there and then like you try not to go to sleep. Um, yeah. But it's so, di- it was so difficult at first, but then like you get the hang of it. When I came home though, really wasn't that hard. It wasn't that hard, like acclimating back. Um, but I know Tokyo is going to be, I mean, it's a few more hours, so it's going to be very different. I mean, the, the toughest part too is everybody who's at home is either going to bed when you're waking up or waking up when you're going, that's just the hardest part. Like, I mean, because, I mean, especially for Tokyo, because we're going to yeah. be in a bubble. We're not going to be able to leave because of COVID. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah, that was decided. Um, but like usually when you go to the uh, Paralympics or you go to like the world championships, they don't really want you leaving and like going out and experiencing until after you compete, um, which is understandable. So it's just going to be like that, which is, which is fine. And there's enough people. I mean, there's 60 to 70 athletes on the U S team that I think oh, they're bringing. Cool. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be a good group of people. You're going to try the real sushi when you go there. Cause I'm always curious what it's like. Listen, I, I need to get into liking sushi. That's like my you like last sushi? thing. All right, now's I, the time. This is the new training. Listen, like I know I'm like to the point now where I love every single type of food. I used to be like the pickiest person and now like I'll eat anything. So now I need to, I need to like sushi. Yeah. Cause if you don't like sushi and the Japanese team has found out about it, that might be bulletin board material. Like they I don't know, like sushi. I know. Yeah. Exactly. Like I'm going to be looking for, for the freaking McDonald's in Tokyo because that's the only thing I'm going to move. Not in the bubble. Yeah. Not in the bubble. That's not, that's not, that's not <laughs> right. going to happen. No, that's unbelievable. And so I want, I want to, so how can people find out more about your foundation? And my, my last question for you is, have you get to meet in any of the recipients of the um, prosthetics? Yeah. So you can uh, obviously follow us on any of our social media platforms. It's just at the born to run foundation. Make sure you put the, um, or go to our website, www.thebornturunfoundation.org. And for me personally, every time we do a donation, I want to be, I want to be there. I want to be present. I want to learn about the person. Like I want to meet their families and everything. I think that's that's something that's very special to me. Um, and that's exactly what happens every single time. Um, the first one we ever donated to was a, to a little three-year-old boy. His entire family was there. We usually try to do like big events, uh, but obviously with co- when COVID happened, there was one that we actually had to do through Zoom, but I actually had met him prior to that. I, I, I met his family, but we're still going to try to plan something for him to come when everything is safe. But yeah, that's definitely something because for me, like what I want people to know when they get don't when they do get um, a prosthetic donated to them is we're not just going to hand you the le- like the prosthetic and never t- talk to you again. Like we want to create that family and that community. If you have any questions, in that support group or anything like that, and like the biggest thing is like we have people who I mean lost their leg to osteosarcoma, and like if we're donating to somebody else who lost her leg to osteosarcoma, like we want to introduce them and stuff like that. So we're trying to create like a family. Yeah. And every time we have events, we always try to invite them and stuff like that. 
I actually saw, I don't know, it's kind of cool. So I, I, po I, was po I posted an interview I did a couple, about a month ago, into this <laughs> um, University of Oregon um, fan Facebook page. And some yeah. guy replied with a picture of an Oregon Ducks prosthetic. It's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Yeah, you can customize uh, the socket. I'm I'm pretty boring. Uh, the only good thing I ever had on my prosthetic was Tom Brady's signature. That's the only thing. And that was like the only thing I will ever have. I had it, I rocked it for like a year and a half. Um, and then I needed a new one because it was getting too big, but that was like, that was my decoration. <laughs> I mean, but you can customize anything. Like if you have cool. a t-shirt, yeah, if you have a t-shirt, they usually, they can like literally like print that on, like whatever's wow. on the t-shirt, they can put it on the socket. But yeah, I'm very, I'm very boring. It's mine's just black. Yeah. But he signed it with a, a silver Sharpie. So it, it awesome. stuck out. It stuck out. <laughs> it's honestly a possible shark tank idea. Pimp my prosthetic right it is yeah it's dead. Like, that would be amazing yeah think about it and maybe maybe if that gets big enough insurance companies to say you know what maybe we should start paying for these right so, yeah because yeah, I, I mean sockets alone sockets alone are very expensive they're like eight five to eight thousand dollars and know. like it's five thousand dollars after your insurance company pays for like gives you that's like the deductible it's ridiculous that's a crime that's an absolute it, crime that's it is it is yeah. but can't really do anything about it <laughs> do they have to be custom made is that is that one of their rationale? yeah i mean it's understandable they literally like uh you know like if, if you break your arm they put that casting on yeah. and they it's like the same exact thing so they put the cast on and then they like kind of they push everything together so they get all the like the because if it's like too big too small like it's not comfortable like it'll create blisters and stuff like that so that's like one of the biggest things is when you are getting fitted for a prosthetic like you need to be very vocal and like what hurts what pinches because you're literally going to be walking on this i mean mine is very comfortable i honestly don't even think about not having like not having a leg anymore like it's just yeah. it's just become like such an everyday routine um and everyone always like says isn't it so uncomfortable because like your leg is pounding i'm like no because like it's suction so like it it tightens it though like the right place and then it holds your leg up so it's cool. There's so many different like techniques and maneuvers and everything. Um, those, that's why you got the you got the smartest people making the like uh, making specialized legs. <laughs> that's awesome. That's so cool. Well, when when you pitch uh, pimp my prosthetic to Shark Tank, ask okay. them, they say, hey, Zach, Zach wants tickets to the maps. And then all right, we'll, all right, good. sounds good. Be good. And then and then how can people find you on social media? Follow you. Just keep up with everything you're doing. Yeah, uh, just my name. That's usually on all my social media platforms at Noelle Lambert. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Awesome. Well, this has been an absolute blast. Keep, keep killing it. You're, you're, this is amazing what you're doing. You're an inspiration to a lot of people. I, this is this is awesome. Thank you so much for <laughs> Thank chatting. Thank you. Thank you so much, Zach. I do have a lot of help. I never do anything on my own. I will tell you that. <laughs> I would not be where I am today without so many different people in my life. But yeah, thank you so much for having me and letting me share my story um, and helping us get more exposure.